Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. We're really glad you're here. So whether you're part of a 12-stone home gathering or whether you're just watching online, we're really honored that you'd be with us today. It's going to be a, I think it's going to be a great day. We'll, we'll, we'll let you decide for that. Hey, listen, if this is your first time here, especially for you, we just want to say welcome. And we're really hoping and praying that today will be an encouragement with you as we sing together, as we have great conversation, um, but also as we pay attention to God's word and what he's teaching us today. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Yeah. So uh, we are going to be continuing talking about how to build an unshakable life. And with that, with knowing God and, and continuing with finding freedom. And so Jason is going to be with us today, and it's going to be a really great message. Yeah, so. Jason's actually our co-senior pastor. He is. So we're, fun we're really fact. glad. Yeah. That's great. That is a fun fact. <laughs> it is. We should know that. We should. Hey, um, we love to have conversations because we love we the gift of gab. Is that a thing? Gift of, we still what does say that, that even mean? It's a curse, the gift of, well, we like to talk. So here's one of those questions where you're like, I do not know why I'm talking about this right now, but you'll know in a few minutes. <laughs> is there anything around your apartment or your home that needs to be fixed that you're putting off? And so I have a couple of things in my mind. Hey, husbands and wives, be careful right now because we don't, it may be some tension there, but hey, push pause, have a conversation. We'll be back in a sec. Okay, so Rachel, you are a new homeowner. I am. Okay, I am. so what needs to be done to your house? Um, there's a few like little cracks that I'm starting to notice that I'm like, I feel like I should like fill those in. Not like do you know how to? Not like you know how to yeah, do yeah, this? you get that putty stuff and you put it on there and you sand it down and then you repaint it. But I gotta find the paint color and all that okay. stuff. So I need to do that. What about you? Uh, you know the filter in the refrigerator that makes your water taste good? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to replace that. Oh. They're expensive. Yeah, I okay. don't have that. <laughs> so we had two new home gatherings start um, actually last week. And yeah. so, hey, tell us about those. Yeah, so we have some photos that are going to pop up on the screen here with you. And so who we had is uh, Braden in Port Orchard. He, got, he launched last week right there. And then we also had Zach and Alex in Charleston, South Carolina. And that was their first gathering, which is a lot of fun. And David, yeah. you're actually gonna be I'm jumping going to over to see these people, I huh? love Charleston. We're going like, I'm going this week. It's I like January, today is the 15th. Mm -hmm. So this Thursday, we're having a dinner in Charleston. I'm gonna be with Zach and Alex there. And we're just trying to see, are there other people in, in Charleston that might be interested in doing church in a fresh way? And we're excited, we're praying for Charleston. We believe God wants to do a movement of home churches, home gatherings, close on home in Charleston. If you know somebody that's in the Charleston area, Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, Charleston, I, South Carolina. I, I found I out I got to add the South Carolina. There's multiple <laughs> Charlestons. But if you know someone, just text them and say, hey, text home to 37748 and find out more. And you may be wondering, what, what is 12 Stone Home? And we talk a lot about it. Mm -hmm. um, we're excited about it. We believe God's in the middle of it. It's actually a group of friends that they gather weekly for worship in a home or a pub or a a coffee shop, and they obsess about how to bless their neighbors. So, uh, hey, if that sounds something you're interested in, Rachel's got a way that you yeah, can so actually you can reach out. 
You can simply text HOME to 37748 and I'll reach out to you whether you're interested in attending a gathering or learning about hosting one and or simply just having a conversation. Okay, tell me a little bit more about what this thing actually is. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Yes, yeah, so we're about to jump in, into worship. And mm -hmm. um, hey, this is MLK weekend and it's a way for us to celebrate, to think about the freedom that comes in Jesus and equality and all the things that he did to actually shift our culture. And Cam's gonna be leading us in some thoughts yeah. about MLK in a minute. But before um, we turn it over to Cam, hey, I um, this morning I was actually praying for us and I was just thinking, I so desperately want everyone who's experiencing this to experience the presence of Jesus. And here's what we know, Jesus changes everything. And in reality, we're talking about knowing God. We do not know God without the presence of Jesus. It's because of his body, his blood, he made a pathway for us to actually know and have intimacy with the Father. We also know without Jesus, uh, we don't have relationships, we can't find freedom. Yeah. Here's what Jesus said, the Son, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Mm -hmm. So wherever you are today, just know this, maybe you're in a home gathering, the presence of Jesus is there. If you're alone, um, you're actually not really alone, the presence of Jesus is there. Yeah. So let's um, turn it over to Cam, he's gonna share some thoughts about MLK, and then we're gonna have an incredible time of worship. So let's worship together. Hey church, 12 Stone Home, live in the room as always. It's so good to see you. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, we're about to jump into a moment of worship, but before we do, we wanted to take a moment to just honor the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's right, you can give it up. See, Dr. King's life was an example that God can use anyone to spread his message of love, of joy, of peace, and of reconciliation to the world. You see, because this dream wasn't just Dr. King's. It wasn't just his vision. This dream was God's dream. This was God's vision, that all of his children would be united, that all of his children would be one. God desired for all of his children, whom he created equally, to be treated as equals here on this earth. And now we know that we have an enemy who wants to spoil those plans. And we know because of the fallen sinful nature of this world, we still have a battle to fight. A fight against hatred, against racism, against injustice. But here's the good news. We don't have to fight that battle alone. God is fighting with us. And as a matter of fact, he's already gone before us to give us the victory. But here's the thing. He still intends to use each and every one of us to continue that fight and to live out the dream that he set for us. We all must take responsibility to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of love, joy, peace, unity, and reconciliation to the world. That's our responsibility. So before we jump into worship, can I just pray that over us? That we all would take responsibility for the fight, that we would all be reminded that it's not just Dr. King's dream, it's not just his vision, it's God's vision and he intends to use us to carry it out here on this earth. So God, would you help your children? Help us to love, help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to listen, help us to be all the things that you've called us to be. Help us to fight for justice. Help us to fight for unity, to be one under the banner that is the name of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for your peace and we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you've gone before us and that you are with us. But would you give us the conviction to fight the fight and to live the dream that you set for your children here on earth? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we know that God's promised 
peace is with us and his presence goes before us so we can worship in hope today we can worship in the joy of jesus christ and we can put our faith and our stake in his promises so let's sing this together let your hearts be full of faith today come on your word is a lamp unto my feet and your way is the only way for me it's a narrow road that leads to life but i want to be on it it's a narrow road but the mercy is wide because you're good on your promise come on sing this out i'll take you at your word if you say Said your grace is always enough. 
bit. Give you a breeze.
We give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. We give you our worship because you deserve it. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, here in the room, would you turn and greet somebody? Tell them you're glad to see them. Tell us on home, tell us on online. We're so glad you're with us. You can refill your coffee. We'll jump in the message soon. So welcome to church this morning. Y'all doing good? You can get a seat if you're at a campus. We're so glad you're with us. If you're joining us in Georgia, it's cold. I'm not built for this. I don't like it. In the name of Jesus, I pray a warm streak to come through town. If you're joining us somewhere else and it's warm, I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous. You know, if you were here last weekend, we started with this question, how do you build an unshakable life? Even when the world around you feels shaky, how do you build an unshakable life? And we're using the metaphor of a house because Jesus did. And so I want to start with an honest question right now. And I need you to be honest, whether it's a, a hole in the wall or an appliance that doesn't quite work right or a ceiling fan that doesn't work anymore. How many of you have anything in your house, anything at all that is currently broken? Hands up. Anything. If your hands aren't up, you're either a liar or I am super impressed. That's incredible. Now, now let, me, let me go a step further. Whether it's a strategically hung picture over a hole or it's a uh, furniture move to cover a stain in the carpet, come on somebody, if you got pets or kids, or whether it's a, you, maybe you just painted over some mold in the bathroom or, or maybe you, you got an oven-microwave combo, the microwave doesn't work anymore, and you just have another microwave on the counter, right? Any of those things, how many of those broken things in your house have you sort of duct taped together instead of really fixed? Anybody? Hands up, be honest. You don't have to lie, but you can be honest. All right, my wife knows me, and she knows I am, uh, I'm infamous for not really fixing the problem and just sort of kicking the can down the road. Like, if you want to know me a little bit, I don't, I don't want to spend the time or money to really fix what's broken in the house sometimes. And I need you to know that this story I'm about to tell you better be helpful to your life. And God better use it because by telling this story, 
My wife's listening right now at the Jackson campus. By telling this story, I realize I'm now going to actually have to fix this. So it better be helpful to you. You understand? This better be helpful. Do you understand? Yes. Okay. In my house, there is a toilet. And that toilet is probably 15 years old. And that toilet has some issues. Uh, it, is, it happens to be the toilet that's like our half bath near the living room where like guests would use it, okay? Uh, it's old enough that the chain between the plunged valve thing that lets the water in the bowl and the handle is rusted out. And so I, instead of replacing the guts of that toilet, I have a twisty bread tie that I have wrapped around the chain and fed through the handle. Now here's the deal. It ain't dumb if it works, is it? Problem is, about every two, three months, Amber's like, the toilet handle's broke again. And I go, get me a bread tie. And I go in there and twist it around and get that working. And, and then secondly, the toilet flushes just fine. And I'll say this, not gross. As long as it's just liquid in the bowl. <laughs> if anything of substance is in there, it clogs up. Like literally two weeks ago, we hear screams from my three-year-old niece just screaming in the bathroom and then water coming out front of the door because it was overflowing and she just didn't know what to do. So we had to clean that up. And, and so what do I have to do? I have to go in there and plunge it for sometimes five, ten minutes, just plunge that toilet, goes down, and we're like, all right, think about how awkward this is for my beautiful wife. You have guests over to the house, and they go, where's your restroom? And she has to ask the question, is this a, a one situation or a two? Because if it's a two, I'm going to tell you a different bathroom. Very awkward. Listen, I, instead of solving the real issue, I sort of got that thing duct taped, bread tied, just keep plunging the thing, right? Like, like I don't want to spend the time or energy to fix what's really broken. I just want to sort of kick the can down the road. See, it's why we're in this conversation. How do you build an unshakable life? I can tell you this. An unshakable life is not built with plungers and bread ties. See, if you want to build an unshakable life, it's got to go down to the foundation of what's really broken your life. And I'm telling you this for a reason, because listen, maybe you have tried to fix what's shaky in your life by building your life your way and slapping Jesus's name on the side of it and going, we good? Jesus is more like a bread tie that's just holding things together instead of the very core that you've built your life on, the thing that you stake your claim in. And maybe you believe you've tried this church stuff, this God stuff, this spiritual stuff, this religion stuff before, and you go, man, it just doesn't work. And maybe it doesn't work because you, you look at Jesus more like a bread tie than the foundation of your life. You see, the problem is this. When you cover up what's broken in your house, it makes you feel good for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months until, for me, my wife goes, babe, the toilet's broke again. You're going, I'm back here again. And you listen, you think you've tried this. And you think you've, you've sort of said, I've done the, the, done the God thing. I've given him his chance, and it's not worked for me. And you're going to use that as an excuse to not listen to the rest of what I have to say today. And I'm warning you, it's not going to be wise for your life. See, if you want to build an unshakable life, Jesus can't be the bread tie holding things together. He wants to get to the core of what's broke. See, why do marriages fall apart? Because you just keep covering over the problems and throwing a little bit of Jesus jargon on top of the thing you already built. 
You already built the house of your life, the house of your marriage, and you just want to say, Jesus, I don't want to go all the way to what's really broken. Just help us get along for today. You do that long enough, and you wake up, and your marriage is not what you hoped it would be, and Jesus is telling you today. Maybe this is all you're going to hear. It doesn't have to be that way. Your marriage doesn't have to be terrible. You don't have to feel empty inside. You don't have to be embarrassed of what you see when you look in the mirror. Jesus wants to help you build an unshakable life. In fact, here's the words he gave us. And this is where we get this illustration of the house that we're using. It's inside of Matthew 7. Jesus tells a parable. And he says this. This is Jesus' words, not mine. Way smarter. Jesus says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus is saying this, you're going to have storms. Life is not going to be perfect. Things are going to be rough, but you can build your life in such a way that it can be unshakable. Equally, the other side of the story, but everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, those same streams rose up, those same winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Equally, you can build your life in such a way that when the storms come, everything crashes down. And if you're honest, over the course of the last two, three, four, five years, we all have something that feels like that. A relationship, finances, a friendship, your character, your spiritual life, your career, your future, the retirement you've been saving for. Like it, it's like all of a sudden, the last two or three years, it feels like, man, the storms have come. And if your life wasn't unshakable, it shook. And what Jesus is saying is this. I, 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 have, I have instructions for how to build your your life this way. Some, I'll use this word. He has a blueprint for how he invites us to build our life to be unshakable. And if you missed last weekend, we started this conversation. I gave us an overview of the whole blueprint. And I don't have time to reteach it. Get online and, and catch up if you didn't. But today I want to sit in the, the first two pieces of that blueprint. And as a reminder, let me, let me show you sort of how we unpack this. If God had a blueprint for an unshakable life, and if you've ever built a house yourself, you, you start with the foundation, that's the concrete on the bottom, and then you move to the framing of the house, which is the, the wood two-by-fours or two-by-sixes that sort of frame the house out, and then you have to know what each room is designed for, right? You don't want a drain in the middle of your bedroom, and you want to make sure you have a drain in the kitchen. you got to design the rooms, and then eventually you fill it with family and, and friends and people. Like, your life is more than just about you. And the four things that God invites us to in this blueprint of life is that, that we would know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So I want you to say those four with me as I get to them, like you mean it, like you care. Let's try the first one. The foundation is what? Well done. Across the campuses. Let's go. The framing is what? There you go. The room design is what? And when you fill it with family and the people you love, it's? You're going to start to hear those words everywhere around this church because I believe this is what God's inviting us to. And I just, you just need to know this. There might be more in this life than you're currently experiencing. God has more. And he wants to invite you to build a life on him the foundation of Jesus that is unshakable. 
And we're going to be sitting inside of Ephesians 1 as our core text. And and those four statements, although not said exactly like that, the sentiment, the guts of those four statements, the values of those four statements are in Scripture a dozen times. And I want to just pick my favorite, which is Ephesians 1. I want to read this to you, and you'll see it again from last week. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's no God. And then I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, and that's fine freedom, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Discover your own purpose that God has. And then the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That we would live a life that makes a difference in the lives of others. And today we're going to start with the very first one. And I want to give this some more weight and gravity and understanding for our church. That listen, the foundation is this, that we would know God. And from that verse, we said it last week. In English, the word know, K-N-O-W, doesn't have the gravitas and the gravity That they would have heard this like back in the Bible times. It would be in Greek. And the word that the Apostle Paul used here was a very specific word. It wasn't to know God intellectually. It was to know God relationally, intimately. The word in Greek is gnosko. You've heard that word probably a bunch now. Never heard it before last week. You heard it a bunch now. I want you to say it with me. Let's all speak Greek like we're cultured and smart. On three, let's say gnosko. One, two, three. Gnosko, you just spoke Greek. Congratulations. My Greek professor will be so happy from college that I'm doing this. That word gnosko is the same word used other times in Scripture to describe the kind of intimacy between a husband and wife that produces a child. But listen, that word is not a sexual word. It's an intimate word. It's a closeness word that that God's saying, listen, I want to have a relationship with you that is more close and real, and alive than maybe you've ever realized. And maybe you thought the best you could have with God is some religious experience or a religion or a set of rules or a set of standards you have to try to strive to live to or a bunch of things you're not allowed to do anymore. And God's like, that's what I want from you. And God's going, no, I want you to know me. This is, this is good news. He, he doesn't just want you to have a religion. He wants you to have a relationship. And listen, if maybe you're, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but if God really exists, wouldn't you want to know how to know him? Like if you could know the God that created this world, wouldn't you want to know him? See, this all starts with Jesus. He made a way for forgiveness, but not just for forgiveness, for relationship. In fact, I I want you to see how Jesus describes his role in wanting you to know God in Revelation. Here's how he describes his role in that. Here I am. I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. He's at the door of your house. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Think about the metaphors Jesus could have chosen. And he chose that he shows up personally at your door and your door and your door and your door, knocks on it himself, doesn't send somebody else, doesn't send a servant. He shows up, knocks on the door. And if you would open the door, he'd come in and eat with you. 
See, this, this metaphor, this idea that Jesus is at the door, it, it applies to both the sinner and the saint. If you don't know Jesus, yet he wants to hang out with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. If you're a follower of Jesus, he wants to know you more, and he wants you to know him more. He wants this relationship, and, and this is so cool. In that Revelation passage, the Greek word that he chose to use for the meal that he was referring to eating with you it's the word datenon, and it's the word for dinner. And I want you to catch this. He could have chosen breakfast, which for most of us is a Pop-Tart on the way out the door, right? Like, that's my breakfast when you run, or, or like a lunch, a working lunch where you're moving. He chose the meal that in that culture was the meal that happened at night after all the work was done. There was nothing you had to rush to. This was the meal that people would sit and talk for hours over. They didn't have Netflix to numb their minds at the end of the night. They, they didn't have social media to scroll through at night and go brain dead before you go to bed. They had nothing else to do except light a candle and hang out and talk to people. This was the meal that Jesus is describing here. Jesus is saying, I have plenty of time to hang out. I want to know you. I want to, I want to sit across the table. That's the kind of relationship. That's the, the gnosko I'm talking about. He wants you to know him. But maybe your experience with church growing up was very similar to mine growing up. You may not know this. My dad's a pastor. And so I grew up in church. It felt like 35 times a week. Like every time there was anything at the church, I sat through the women's choir practice for like seven years. It was awful. And I didn't have an iPad to play with. It was like I had to watch women's choir practice. It was terrible. Uh, and they weren't super gifted like our singers here. Um, I'd show up and I'd do Sunday school and then I'd do church and then I'd do, then I'd do like a, the children's thing in the afternoon and then I'd come back for night church on Sunday and Wednesday. Like I did the church thing and, and, and back then pastors talked about hell like they'd been there. Like they knew how to describe it and I'm like, listen, hell's hot. Hell sounds terrible. I'm a kid but I'm not stupid. So what did I do? I would come to the altar like every time I did some sort of response moment to say, do you want to give your life to Jesus and not go to hell? I'm like, Sounds better than the other thing, so I'll go do that. I don't want to go to hell. So I'd go to the altar, and I'd pray, and I'd do the, do the thing. And, and listen, I, I made my parents proud in those moments, but I didn't meet the living God. I didn't gnosko. And I'm not dis discounting what God does in the life of a child in those moments, but I had not started a relationship with him. And maybe that's... I mean, that's the sum of your spiritual journey so far is religious moments. But it was the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. It's probably the most marking night of my life. Certainly the most significant for my eternity. My parents were gone at like a marriage retreat thing for the weekend, so I'm home alone. And two in the morning, I wake up out of a sound sleep like I'm fast asleep, and I wake up like it's 10 a.m., and I'd slept all night long, and I'm just awake. See, what I didn't know is that my, my mom had a weight on her heart for me. See, I knew how to look like a great pastor's kid Christian. Like, if you would have known me back then, you'd have been like, that's the, that's the A-plus right there. He's got it. Privately, I was a mess. I didn't want to serve God. I just knew that I'd get in trouble if I didn't. 
And my mom had a weight on her heart that night. And so when everyone dismissed to go back to their, their rooms for the night, she's like, to my dad, I'm going to stay here. I feel a weight to pray. And so she went to the altar and she just began to cry out to God. God, would you wake Jason up? God, I, I don't want his faith to be my faith. I want it to be his faith. And she just prayed and cried out to God until two in the morning. And then God just sort of like, peace. And she dried her tears and went, God just released me. And she went to bed and slept like a baby. And then her weight transferred to me in that moment. At 2 a.m. I sit up. We correlate the story months later. Two in the morning, I sit up and the weight, and I, I didn't know what to do. So I got out of bed and I, I went to the formal dining room or the formal living room, the one I wasn't allowed in. Only guests were allowed in, right? The carpet's mauve. The furniture is untouched. Not a stain in that room because I was never in it. And I went to that room, and I don't know how to explain it because I'm not like a weepy person, but I just laid on my face and wept before God. It was the weirdest combination of conviction and the weight of my sin and the weight of who, who I really was inside that no one knew mixed with the weight of the, the deepest, most sincere love I've ever felt in my life. And I sat there and I poured out and confessed, God, forgive me. Forgive me for this and being fake and forgive me for the way I speak at school and the, the jokes that I, that I tell and the, and the conversations that I'm in. God, forgive me for the, the broken parts of my life. And I wept before God in that moment. And I can't explain it other than to tell you, in that moment, I finally gnoscoed. I finally met God. And it was crazy. The next Sunday, I went back to church, and it was the same boring hymns we've sung for the last 20 years. And suddenly, those were not like songs I read in a hymnal. They were songs about a guy I knew. Great is thy faithfulness. It sure is. Come thou fount of every blessing. Amazing grace suddenly was my song. See, once you meet God, it all changes. And I'm telling you, you don't need a dramatic story like mine to know God. You just answer the door when he knocks. See, the, 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 the beauty of the gospel is not just that you can be forgiven and God can stomach being around you now. It's that he, he sent Jesus, he loved you so much, and Jesus paid your penalty so that you could have relationship with him. You can know him. So how do you know God more? How do you grow in this? You're going you're gonna to think I'm giving you this Sunday school answer, but, but once you know him, it changes. It's why we gather every seven days at church. We want to give you moments to know him more. And suddenly when you know him, it's not going to church it's hanging out with a bunch of people that love the same God. Listen, you, you build rhythms in your life of reading your Bible. You're like, that's what you're telling me? Yes, it's God's word. But suddenly when you know him, it's not reading your Bible. It's learning about this person you love. You, you have to build rhythms of prayer. And you're like, dude, I'm talking to the ceiling. When you know him, suddenly it's conversations with a friend. Build rhythms of, of worship, and you realize worship's not singing repetitive songs over again. It's, it's, it's thanking Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you. It's, it's not religious checklists anymore. It's suddenly relationship. It's why this past Friday night we invited the church into something we call a call to worship. We set aside a Friday night, and we just said the night is, is simply for us to experience God, 
to know him more. And if you were there, I don't know how to describe it. Just like I can't describe that, that, that formal living room moment with God, I can just tell you this. The Spirit of God was there, and it was unbelievable. It was special. See, we create moments as a church. We want to create space for you to know God more. Not to give you more checklists to check off, but to know him. And that's the first step of building an unshakable life, that you have a relationship with the living God. Not religious things you check off over and over again, but you know him. Let me, let me say it this way. Technically, you can be married and never do a date night, never talk to that person. Technically, you can be married and never come home, but I wouldn't advise it. You can have a marriage certificate and not have a relationship. But when you love your spouse, a date night is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. See, what God's inviting you to is not to work harder, try harder, be better. He's inviting you to draw nearer. It's why in James 4, 8, God says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you look for God, he will be found. If you draw near, he'll draw near to you. See, everything else builds on this as the foundation. That's why we teach these rhythms of personal Worship and scripture and prayer and while we do nights like Friday nights, why we do those things is why we gather one in seven days. It's not because you feel guilty if you don't come to church. It's because I want to know God more. And that's what God invites you to. But that's just the first step. That's the foundation. So then we get into the framing, which is this. It's, it's that you would find freedom. That once you know God, you have a relationship. He wants to set you free. And here's how the Apostle Paul continues in that Ephesians passage. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Here's how I'd explain that. Because you hear that and say, your eyes aren't on your heart, bro. They're on your head. My heart doesn't see stuff. But here's how I'd explain it simply. The eyes on your head determine what you see. But the eyes of your heart determine how you process what you see. See, over time, your heart creates a filter by which you see the world around you, by which you receive the words people speak to you, by which you see relationally, by which you experience life. You experience everything through the pain, the past, the problems, and the people up in, in, in your life up until this point. And all of us can be in the same room and see the same thing, but process it and experience it very differently. It's why some people, when they get cut off in traffic, they go, what a goober, and move on with their day. And then others get cut off in traffic, and they go, how dare you? I will not be anyone's doormat ever again. And you pull out, and you throw a single digit, not in Jesus' name, and I hope you scrape the 12-stone sticker off the back of your car before you do. <laughs> they both experienced the same thing, but it felt very different. It's why in marriage... I'll tell my wife, hey, babe, I fixed that. And she goes, thanks. And she means it. But I go, thanks? I have my hands in a toilet bowl with a bread tie for the last three and a half minutes. Thanks is all I get? No one ever says thank you anymore, apparently. And you, we both had the same experience, but we experienced it very different. Because there's a filter on your heart that you see the world through. Listen, the, the reality is Paul's saying this. Listen, you, you might know God, 
but you might have never felt his freedom. Your eyes, the eyes of your heart might not have been cleared yet, and you still see everything through this filter of the pain, and the people, and the problems in your past, and God wants to free you from, from that stuff, and we all have it. If you think you have none of this, you're fooling yourself. So here's how I would say it. What in my life, that if it wasn't there, my life would be better? Like what, what in my marriage, that if it wasn't there, my marriage would be better? What in my parenting, that if it wasn't there, my, my parenting would be better? Things like this, like I wish my go-to emotion or reaction, that it wasn't anger or rage. That would make my life better. Like I, I wish I wasn't so insecure looking for validation out there for what's really needs cleaned up in, in, in here. I wish I could break free from that sin that I keep coming back to and going back to like a, like a dog going back to its vomit, as Proverbs says. I, I wish fear didn't control so much of my decision-making. I, I, I wish I wasn't so dependent on this or this thing in, in my life. I wish I didn't carry around so much shame from my past. See, that's the stuff that God wants to help you get freedom from. And tell me your, your existence here wouldn't be better. This is not the stuff that keeps you from eternity with God, but it's the stuff that makes the journey there worse. And what if God wanted to give you freedom from that? To clean up the heart filter that you're seeing the world through, your life through, your marriage through, your kids through. What if God wanted to free you up from the junk your parents gave you before you give it to your kids? It's not in the notes, but Spirit of God. Dads, you had a passive father that drank beer and watched football. And he didn't pour into you like you wish he would have. And now you look in the mirror and you say, I'm becoming the same person my dad, did, my dad was. What if God wanted to free you up from passivity in your leadership in the home before you pass it to your kids? That's the kind of stuff that the gospel wants to bring you freedom from. God can do that. But you, you, you know him and you, you find freedom. And it's the voices in your head that he wants to free you from. I'll never be good enough. No one will ever love me. My parents were right. I'll never become successful. My ex was right. No one will ever love me. Satan loves to throw this stuff in your face. He loves to play the, the anti-highlight reel from your life and go, you'll never be free from that. But the gospel stands in direct Affront to that in Romans 8 1 it says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus you're not condemned anymore you're free you're freed up and you think man maybe it could just be me and Jesus and we'll work this out a lot of times we think we can get everything done we need done in a Sunday service like this and listen the gatherings on the weekends are so important but they're typically not where you really find freedom. See, God has a very different step and system for you to find freedom because it's not just between you and God that you find freedom. Here's how James tells us. Look at this passage in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't that a weird passage? I confess my sin to God, and you should. 
But here's how I'll say it. You go to God for forgiveness, but you have to go to God's people for healing. You weren't designed to find freedom by yourself. You were designed to live in relationship with other people that are chasing to know the same God that you are. And for us, that's why we do small groups here. And you're thinking, I have heard the small group thing before. Hear it fresh. See, I think God wants to help you find freedom through being in a group with other people. We all know that the best way to get past something in your past is for you to share it with somebody else and say it out loud. And James says, they'll pray for you. You can find healing and, and freedom from those things. See, in my life, God's people have been such a, a help to me. They've helped me see the things that I can't see in my own life. If you were here last week, you remember the story about my basement. It's why we call the find freedom step the, the, the framing because I was ready to throw up drywall in my basement. My friend's like, dude, you don't want to do that. Those Every stud is wonky. You're not going to have a, a, a straight squared wall on the whole thing. And I want to just cover it up and move on. And he's like, you don't want to cover that up. What happens is this. When you're in a small group, people help you correct things before you cover it up and make a bigger mess. See, for me in my life, my small groups over the years have protected me, saved me, helped me find freedom from some of the biggest things in my life and in my past, sometimes before they even happened. In my early parenting, when I sat down with my guys and I was like, dude, I got so much frustrations with my firstborn, man. This and this and this and this. And he's turning four and five and his personality's coming out. And I'm just like, I don't get it. One of the guys was able to say, listen, he's just wired differently than you. You're not supposed to make him you. You're supposed to make him him. And as the parent, you adjust to him. You don't require a five-year-old to adjust to you. That's how you get in relationship. Breakthrough. I couldn't see that for myself. The amount of times I've sat with my small group and said, man, my marriage, stinking Amber, bro. If you could see her, she's so selfish and it's all about her and da, 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 da. And I'm like, I want my guys to be like, I know, dude. And they go, can I be honest with you, dude? I go, I don't know yet. <laughs> they said, bro, that's on you. I heard you tell the story and I heard your spin on it, but you're the one being selfish. What, is, what does Ephesians 5 say again? I'm like, don't you throw scripture back in my face. I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, you're going to love your wife and sacrifice like Jesus did. Oh, great. But you know what they did for me? They helped me see the things I couldn't see. They helped me clear my heart filter, the things that I didn't know I was still carrying in my character talk about things I'm wrestling with, and they don't let me off the hook. They go, dude, sin will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay. You don't play with that one. And what do they do? They help me see things I wouldn't have seen before. And they pray for me. And that's how God wants to free you up. You are only as sick as your secrets. And you shouldn't tell everyone, but you have to tell someone. Because listen, anybody who lives in isolation is a dangerous person. I'm a dangerous man when no one knows what's going on in every part of my life. You don't think that Satan wants to take me down? You don't think that Satan wants to take you down? You don't think Satan wants to tempt you into things that would destroy your marriage? That would wreck your kids? 
that would steal your career and your future, that would make your character a mess. Listen, I'm a dangerous person in isolation, but healing and freedom happen in relationships. And listen, for a ton of people at this church, joining a small group is your next step. See, when the storms of life come, your small group is a huge part of how your life stays unshakable. You can't stay unshakable yourself. And if I was able to share details, I would. But I've walked with five guys, four or five guys for the last three years that I love, knew deeply, that I would have said were unshakable. And over the last three years, they started pulling back from the, the community they were in, the groups they were in, the guys they were in circles with. And they started pulling back from weekend attendance, being a church, being a part of this. And then I watched them pull, 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 pull back. And then I get the call six months, eight months, a year later, and they went, dude, everything's crashing. Why? Because you're dangerous when you're isolated. You're dangerous when you have secrets. And the point of groups is that you don't have to live in secret. See, God wants you to gnosko, to know him. And once you do, he, he, wants you to, he wants to invite you into a life of freedom where you're not carrying the weight your past and your pain and your problems and the people. And he wants to free you up to that. And listen, you don't do that on Sundays alone. How do I know? Because you could not tell me the last five messages I've preached. And it would make me cry because you really couldn't. <laughs> but you can list quickly the names of five people that were there for you, that impacted your life, that called you to something. Because relationships are the context by which life change really happens. So I want to make this practical for us. Let's go over here to the TV. Before I turn the service over to our pastors across the campuses, I want to walk you through what's going to happen over the next two weeks because this is not another normal spring semester of church or life. See, there's times as a church where we, we have to make some shifts in order to serve you better. And this is one of those seasons where we're beginning to make shifts that are going to help us serve you better. And if you're a small group leader, you already know we have a small group leader training this Thursday night. We're going to unpack this in more detail. So take a breath, all right? But here's, here's what I want you to know. We are building small groups with a, a few premises that we didn't have before. And I just want to tell you what they are because we want to help serve you better in real life. We want to help you build an unshakable life. And if you want the freedom of that, you have to be in a group. So let's start here. Small group signups start next week and the week after. 12 Stone Home, David will tell you more about that for you guys. And you guys have small group inside of what you're doing. But if you're at one of the campuses, small group signups start the next two weeks. And you can do that right at your campus. And I want to tell you the premises that we're building from. Listen, not everybody needs the same thing from a small group. Like in different seasons of life, I needed different things. So for some people, you have kids, and others don't have kids. So small group might look very different. You want help with parenting? Some of you going, thank God that's over. We're not started yet. Great. Listen, some of y'all are married. Some of y'all are single as a Pringle, baby. And you don't want a marriage group, right? But if you're in marriage, you, maybe that's the type of group that you want. Some people want just community and connection, and they, they just need friends. They're lonely. Can we be honest? Most people feel lonely. Some people, that's what they need. Others, they need core theology and strategic discipleship to grow you up in your knowledge of God. 
Some people want to reach their neighbors or coworkers for Jesus with a group. And, and listen, the most evangelistic small groups, they solve the problem of loneliness. Maybe that's you. Maybe some people need a group that specifically helps you break a habit or addiction. Listen, here's the key. This is the premise. Here's the key. We are going to offer a variety of small groups that serve you where you are on your spiritual journey. This is not a one-size-fits-all prescription. This is not a diet plan that says, everyone, just only eat red meat. That's what you need, although that's an awesome diet. That's not what this is. It's catered to where you are on your journey. See, our second premise is this that we're going to form groups around the interest and relationships of the leaders of the group. And here's, here's how I want to say that. We build groups around the, the relationships and interests of the leaders in this way. I, I know you already have relationships places, and you already have interests where you live. And for too long, it's felt more like we've asked you to leave the world and the influence and the people you already know to come to us and do ministry and then go back to the world of people you already know and interests you already have. And it's felt like something else to add to your calendar versus this. We want to help you learn something. Here's the key. We want you to learn how to do ministry where you already are. You already have circles. You already have a group of girls you run with every Saturday. Why don't we teach you how to make that an awesome small group? Like, Dudes, you already have a foursome you play golf with every Friday morning at 7 a.m. Why don't we teach you how to make that a spiritually impactful small group? Listen, you already have parents you sit in the bleachers with for volleyball games and basketball games, and you already have your people. Why don't we teach you how to do ministry where you already live? See, I don't want you to have to decide whether you're going to leave the place you already know people and have interest to come do ministry with us. I want to teach you how to do ministry where you already are. This is a paradigm shift for us as a church. For me, for years, my small group was golf on a Friday morning. I'd have my three dudes. We'd all meet up. The Trophy Club of Appalachia. If you're in the Hamilton Hill campus, it's over in Decula. That thing's a goat track now. If you go to the church and you own it, I'm so sorry. It's, it's rough. But not rougher than my golf game. So it worked perfectly for me. So we'd meet up at like... We want to be the first one off the tee so we can get home in time to be with our wives and our families. But we, we first one off the tee, and here's how we did it. We agreed. We're going to have just fun and joke and laugh from like holes one to nine. And then holes 10 and 11, I'm going to share my junk. And then holes 12 and 13, you're going to share your junk. And then before we tee off at 14, we're going to pray for each other. And then we're done again. Because listen, I, I, I can't think that... I have 18 holes of a counseling session every Friday morning. I'm not going to play golf anymore. But we know we need those windows where I can share my secrets and you can and we can find freedom. That's an example of what this might look like for us to begin to help teach you how to do ministry where you already are, where you already have interests and relationships. And that's why it's possible. Listen, moving forward, everyone at 12 Stone can and should be in a small group. Because you're dangerous when you're isolated. You'll never find the freedom God offers when you're isolated. James tells you, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, and you'll be healed. And you might be listening and think, if that's what a small group is, I can lead a small group that way. <laughs> I don't have to drive to the church every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. I don't have to do this big hosting thing in my house if I don't want to. I can do it on a golf course. I can do it in a running club. Yeah, if that's you, talk to your campus pastor today. 
Go start the conversation. Go do, I might be interested in this because we want to help people find freedom. And the last premise we're building from is this. Life change happens best in the context of relationships. See, God does incredible catalytic things in our weekend gatherings, on nights like Friday night. But life change, how you actually build an unshakable life, happens best in the context of relationships. And here's the key, ESPN, because I'm a dude and I love ESPN. It's encouragement, scripture, prayer, and next steps. Don't, don't overcomplicate this. Don't make it more complicated than it is. And don't make it less profound and life-altering and transforming than it can be. Listen, what do we need? We need community. We need people. I need people that know me. So we prioritize encouragement. Like This sounds silly, but like someone to go, hey, you're doing a really good job as a dad. Hey, you're, you're a good friend. Hey, I want to encourage you in this. Get to know one another. Find your people and encourage them. Secondly, we want to find freedom, so we prioritize scripture and prayer. See, when we talk about these groups on a golf course, it's not just playing golf with my friends. It's knowing how to bring scripture and prayer into things and praying with each other because we want life transformation. There's power in scripture and power in prayer, so small groups have this. And then we, we prioritize next steps because you have to move forward on your journey. And small groups are how you figure out what your next step is. How many people in this church don't know what your next step is spiritually. You're like, I don't know what to do next. Do I get baptized or do I go to divorce care? Or do I, do I start this thing or do I do that thing? Or do I become a day maker and serve? Do I go to growth? I don't know what to do next. <laughs> That's why you go to a small group because we're going to help you figure out what your next step of faith is. And it feels overwhelming when you think I have to do everything and you don't. You have to do your next step. And most people get stuck spiritually because you don't know what your next step is. And that's what your small group, your community is meant to be about. So as I, I, I turn this service over to our pastors across the campuses and at 12 Stone Home, next weekend we're going to unpack, discover purpose, and make a difference. And I am so jacked. It's one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to teach. Be here. It's going to be shaping for your life, how you build an unshakable life. But for today, I want to encourage you to make a decision right now. If you don't have your people, if you're not in a group, make your decision now. Next weekend, we're going to find a group. We're going to get in it. We're going to find our people. And this could be the year that God helps you find freedom, helps you break free from the stuff you're cycling in, the stuff from your past. But you have to decide now. You have a chance to talk to your spouse this week and go, we're doing this together. Or talk to your roommates or friends and say, listen, we got to do this. Or maybe you form a group this week and connect with your campus pass. Listen, we're going to circle up. We're already in this. Let's do this together. You pre-decide that stuff. And I believe God's going to give you breakthrough in 2023. So pastors, would you seal this moment over us? Okay, I got to be really honest. I could not be more excited about We've always had small groups with the extra emphasis towards that. So, uh, hey, Rachel, we'll just pray for us. And um, I know a lot of you are thinking about what does this mean for me and just pray towards that. Yeah, so Jesus, um, we thank you for the power of, of having people in our lives who know us, um, people who challenge us, people who call us out. Um, and God, the, and the same is reversed for us to be able to pour into people's lives. And so God, I just pray that um, that we would be intentional. We would be intentional with people around us and that we would um, take what Jason talked about today and we would actually apply it to our lives. And so 
just we just thank you for what you're doing and what you're doing and um, each and every person who is who is listening into this broadcast, whether in a 12 stone home gathering or watching watching maybe by themselves, Jesus, I thank you that we all long for community and to be known. And so God, would we take that next step towards that? So we love you. I send your name. I pray. Amen. Amen. So let me talk to those of you who are sitting in a 12 stone home gathering. You have a 12 stone home host there. You've had breakfast and um, you may be hearing that thinking, I'm already in a small group <laughs> because maybe you are. Um, our 12 stone home gatherings are all kinds of sizes. But, but here's the reality, your, your leaders, your 12 Stone Home hosts already know about what 12 Stone Home small groups are going to look like. We, we think there's an extra layer of intimacy and vulnerability that you can have yeah. uh, with even a smaller group than 12 Stone Home gathering. And mm-hmm. so uh, we're provi- providing equipping and training for that. If you're interested at all about jumping into a group yourself, you're in a home gathering, I'm like, I wanna be a part of something even more intimate and small. Um, smaller than what I'm in right now. Talk to your 12 Stone Home host about that. Mm-hmm. We're going to providing, be providing you equipping around yeah. that. Jason mentioned this Thursday there's equipping. You're going to be receiving that equipping yourselves. And we think just around your neighborhood, you're already part of a group. And there may be people that will not come to worship in your living room, mm-hmm. but they would come over for a barbecue every couple of weeks and just have yeah. a conversation. So um, I think um, in a moment, you're going to give us a, con- a, a question to have yeah. a conversation around that. Before we do that, just want to remind you, you can always give to and through 12 Stone. And um, you can do that by texting GIVE to 37748. And first of all, thank you for being so incredibly generous. But also, um, hey, do this as an act of worship and just keep in your heart and your mind that as I honor Jesus with what I'm giving, I'm just saying, God, you have everything and I'm just thankful for that. So what's the question? Yeah, so the question today is, how do you bring intentionality to a group you're already a part of? Yeah, we're all, most of us are already part of a group. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, talk about how can you really bring intentionality to that group to, to where you're really able to do life with people? Right, right. That's a great question. We think you're going to discover I'm. there's already people I can help them take their next step. Yeah, so. absolutely. So talk about that and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.